<laughs> well, listen, uh, we, we've been in a series up through Easter uh, called Easter, What's It All About? But the goal was is to actually build it to where it would it'd spill over into this next series called Four Cups. And that all that we focused on for Easter actually was a reflection of the four cups that we're going to talk about. And we talked about the cup of sanctification, the cup of deliverance, the cup of redemption, and the cup of praise. We alluded to that, we pointed to it, but we didn't go in depth with that. We gave you the overview of everything, and then when we got to Easter Sunday, we talked about the fact that Easter, what's it all about? It's all about God's love for you. And God's love for you, that he loved you so much that he gave his only begotten son to die for you so that you could have relationship with him. For what reason? We spoke of the core promises. These four areas, these four cups are the core promises of God. And you can go back all the way through scripture. These are four things that God is saying that he wants to do in our lives. And it began with the children of Israel, if you will, in its display of the Passover. They had the Passover lamb. They would they would put over the doorpost, if you remember, they would put the blood over the doorpost and that meant that the, uh, at the angel of death would pass by and would not take their children. And if you remember in the land of Egypt, all the firstborn of the land of Egypt died, right? Of those that didn't believe in the blood of the lamb, all of them passed away. You see them being taken, but the only ones that are spared, the firstborn of those who would put the blood of the lamb over the doorpost. They were spared. And the resemblance of that was this, or the reflection of that was the type and shadow of God's son, his one and only, his firstborn, and his only born, if you will, only begotten, born of the spirit, right? The only begotten son of God. But watch this, the Bible says that he's the firstborn. Say firstborn. He's the firstborn among many. That we ourselves, when we come to Christ, because of his work, the firstborn, the Passover lamb, because of his blood, that we can be born again. Our sins are washed away, and we can enter in this newness of life. And because of his blood, what happens is death passes over. Death no longer has a sting for the believer in Christ. It has to pass over you. That's what the Passover was all about. And so we reflected on that, obviously, at Easter time. But we're going to go back and we're going to stick in this scripture out of Exodus because if, if, if I as a pastor can get you as believers to accept one thing about your life, and, and let me say this, if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, you can have. But you don't have to have one to be here to hear the message, to actually come to that place where, you know, I want to hear this, but I'm not sure if I'm in a place of wanting to commit my life, if you will, to Christ. It's okay. You know, I understand. I was at that point in my own life at one time. And I wasn't quite sure about all those things, and I would hear people talk about it, but it's like, you know what, they, I'm, I want to hear about it, but I don't know about making a commitment to this. Part of that was I, was I was concerned at times about what that meant. Was anybody concerned before they committed their life to Christ with, what does it mean for me to commit my life to Christ? What's, what's the risk, and what, what's the outcome of that situation? I want to read from our passage of Scripture, and we need to embrace the ideas that are in this Scripture. We, again, we've been doing it for three weeks. We're going to do it for a number more. But if we can get these things and drill down and get them in our life, I believe that we'll experience exactly what God intended us ex to experience in relationship with His Son. So Exodus 6, 6-7 says, Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke. That's the first thing God's promising. I'll bring you out. From under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. 
He'll free us, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. So he's going to redeem us. With an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment, I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. This is God promising he will take us as his own. That's a personal relationship with him that he desires. Then you will know. Say then. It's then that we will know that I am the Lord, he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke. And once again, he comes back around and finishes it up by saying, the whole reason I'm doing these things is that you won't be yoked in under the Egyptians. Now this is God saying in the Old Testament to the Israelites, be yoked in with the Egyptians. Egypt, Egypt was known as a type of the world. Israel is known as the family of God. The church is a family of God, and we are in this world, but we're not meant to be of it. We're called out. I will bring you out, is what he says. That God, when we come to Christ, what he does is he's going to bring us out from under the yoke of this world, the yoke of sin and slavery to sin in the ways of this world. And what he's going to do is he's going to bring us into that new and living way to follow Christ, to live according to God's word. So what's going on here, when you, when you look at the life of, of uh, the Israelites, what you see is you see, you go back and read that story and you'll read from, from uh, Exodus, you go in Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, on and on, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Right? You, you read the Old Testament, you see this story as it progresses and what you're seeing is you're seeing a journey of God's people. Did you know that you're in a journey? Whether you're in that journey in a relationship with Christ or you don't have one yet, the reality is, is you're still on a journey and it's still a spiritual journey. You can have a, a spiritual journey where you're, you're awoken to the things of God or you can be on a spiritual journey where you're dead to the things of God and what happens is, is that leads to a life when it ends is that it, death doesn't pass you over if it doesn't have the blood of the lamb applied to your life. If you've not come to the Passover lamb and accepted his sacrifice on the cross... Death doesn't pass you over. Death still has a sting to it. And so the children of Israel, here they are, and they celebrated Passover. And what they did is they drank from four cups. And those four cups, they had four cups of wine, and they would drink each one, acknowledging these four aspects of God's promise to them if they would acknowledge the blood. You see that? If they would acknowledge the blood of the Lamb, pointing to, not that that, that, that blood would only cover for a year, but they knew that what God was promising was through Abraham. Say Abraham. Abraham. How many of you know that, that Abraham came before Moses? How, how many of you know the way that they got into Egypt was through uh, Abraham, then there was Isaac, and then there was Jacob. Anybody know what Jacob's name was changed to when he had an encounter with God? It was changed to what? Israel. The children of Israel, Right? The ones we're reading about that God took them out from under the yoke. And there was a, a, a child to, to uh, Jacob who became Israel, and he had a son. He had many sons, but he had one son in particular, which is a type and shadow of the Christ. And his name was Joseph. And basically what God did is God saved the whole world through Joseph. He ended up in the land of Egypt. There was a famine that hit the land, and it was Joseph through his dreams and through God's favor on his life, that he caused the deliverance of the whole world as a result of that to be rescued from that famine because of how God told him to store up the grain during that time of famine and how it would be distributed bit by bit. And what it would do is sustain people through a seven-year famine. 
Go back and read all those stories. I can't cover it today. But, it, but it's amazing. So here they are. They're on this journey. What we need to understand is that, that in this journey, what was happening is God was working his will and his purpose in their life. And there were people who were accepting it, and there were people who were rejecting it. How many of you agree? We're, we're in no different kind of seat where it comes to the things of God in our life. We're either accepting what God wants for our life or we're rejecting it. Sometimes it's very difficult, as I said, to accept what God wants us to do. Can you say amen? amen. You find yourself like, I don't know if I could take that step. It just seems like a, a big commitment, you know, to go to church every Sunday. We're not asking you to go every Sunday. Enjoy the mountains. Enjoy snowboarding. Enjoy camping. Do that. But at least come a, at least two to three times a month so that you can be on the same page and you can grow in your spirituality. Can you say amen? amen. Be connected. And in that, so, so, so we find ourselves you know, in that place where it's difficult to make that commitment. I think that the biggest step is coming to Christ, and then it's following Christ. It's like, well, when I come to Christ and I commit my life, am I not following him? Yeah, you're following him in a commitment, but the question is, is are you going to live like him? Come on now. And I think that to, to, to actually take that step, and oftentimes, I know again, as a, as before I believed in Christ, it was like, well, wait a minute, so if I come to Christ, though, it seems like, I mean, i got to stop smoking, I gotta stop drinking. I gotta stop cussing. I gotta, I gotta stop fornicating. I, if you don't know what that means, I gotta stop having sex without being married. I, I, that, that probably was the biggest one for me. Like, I kind of like girls, you know? So it was like, I wanna give that up. If I come and I start going to church, I gotta give those things up. Or, or maybe you were in a place where, you know, if I come to Christ, then you gotta, you know, you gotta stop committing adultery. Or maybe you gotta stop cheating on your taxes. Or maybe you gotta stop stealing from your workplace. Maybe you gotta stop. Maybe as a kid, what you got to do is you got to stop dishonoring mom and dad. Come on now. You know, there's this wonderful uh, uh, illustrative um, drawing about going to church, and it's called the drag. Anybody ever seen it? It's got this kid. I mean, I did this going when I was a kid. My grandpa would come and get us to take us to church. I need a young man to come up. Come here. He's my helper. Okay. Uh, what you're going to do is pull back with this hand kind of dig your heels in it was called the drag and what they do make sure you don't let go and they drag them to church drag your kid to church you're letting go hang on I don't want to break your arm so pull a little bit but don't try okay and you drag you're going to church I don't care you're going to church right but it's got this kid and his heels are dug in and he doesn't want to go to church and what's the reason that we go to church it's so so that we can be exposed to the presence of God it's so we can be exposed to the fellowship of the brethren, the sisters, and the brothers in Christ. It's so that, so that what happens as we build those relationships within a godly community, what happens is, is that all those things that we said we want to do in following Christ, we've got somebody there. See, I got married to a woman who loves the Lord. And therefore, if I do something that doesn't reflect the Lord, she's there to do what? Beat me up. That's the, way we, that's the way we think in Christianity. A lot of times it's like, man, I don't, I don't know because somebody might beat me up if I'm not perfect. And, you know, no, no, they're to encourage you to stay the course, to spur one another on to good works. But I, but I saw this video, and I thought it would be a great video to show. It, it's not spiritual in any way, but I saw it and I thought, man, does that not look like so many Christians and non-Christians, those that don't know yet if they want to follow Christ, does that not look like all of us where it comes to actually taking that step and committing because we're scared of what might lie below. We're scared of what might lie ahead. 
And so rather than commit, what happens is, is we hang on to everything behind us in fear of what might be in front of us. And even in fear, once we take that leap, you know, uh, you know, what's it going to mean? Is, is, is there going to be embarrassment? Is there going to be a situation where, you know, people are going to know about my life when I confess my sins and, and I don't want anybody to know? Well, the Bible says, confess your sins to God that you may be forgiven. Confess your sins one to another that you may be healed. And I, and I saw this and I thought, you know, you see, the, you see this video and you're going to see something at the end of it and you're going to think, yeah, that, that kind of lies there. It's like uh, the exposure, the authenticity the genuineness that has to come if you want to live your life for Christ can also be a scary thing. Watch this video. Hmm. I saw that and I thought, man, people who are struggling to live in the faith or come to the faith often look just like that. You know, a lot of times as Christians, you can be like those little boys observing, you know, and have that like, okay, let me help them make the step, you know, and... Uh, you know, kind of mean, if you will. We want to be Christians that are gracious towards others in their struggle to live the faith, and we want to be Christians who are gracious towards those who haven't taken the step to follow Christ so that the message is good news, not bad news. Amen. And I thought about that, and then, of course, when he's in the pool, the whole thing about coming to Christ is uh, it does kind of expose you, kind of leaves you vulnerable, if you will. Was he vulnerable? It leaves you vulnerable when you come to Christ. And then, of course, you got those that just uh, walk off with your, <laughs> your covering, if you will. Uh, we don't want to be those kind of Christians. We want to make sure that we're making things nice and gracious for people to follow Christ. Because it's messy enough and hard enough to follow Christ, let alone to have it be difficult because of the way we interact with one another. Could you say amen? Now, I don't know about you, but I've been a part of the body of Christ long enough to have experienced good and bad in the church, if you will. But I want to be one of those that is always pursuing good because that's why Jesus came to die. That's why he came to shed his blood, that the blood would be applied because the blood is what covers our sin, our shame. If you will, when we become genuine, what happens is the blood of Christ washes all that away. Therefore, there's nothing to be ashamed about anymore. Can you say amen? And so that video just really stood out to me. And I thought like, you know, the guy who comes out, the lifeguard who comes out and kind of looks over and has that, that look. Um, you ever been struggling in your faith and you just have somebody that's, you know they're watching you, if you will. If, if you don't know what that's like, just become a pastor and you get to swim your life in a fishbowl. Everybody's going to watch you. You know as Christians, people are watching you. When you stand up and you say something about your faith, people are looking and they're watching you. They're watching you in your struggle to live for God. They're watching you if you're struggling to come to the Lord. They're, they're watching that. And the thing is, is that don't be so concerned with them as you are, to keep your eyes set on the one who's going to give you the strength to make it. Amen? So, not to be around that video too much, but, uh, but do you see my point in it? And uh, it was quite funny too, wasn't it? So look, God wants to work four things in our life then. Don't hang on to the diving board. Dive in this morning. Uh, start pursuing these four things with everything that's in you. We've pointed them out. The cup of sanctification is salvation. The cup of deliverance is freedom. The cup of redemption is restoration. Now, it's interesting. The first two, people will take steps towards salvation. They'll take steps toward freedom. But statistics show, research shows that most people who take those first two steps, 87% of them, they never take a step toward the third cup. 87% of people who believe in Christ never get to the third cup and drink from that cup. 
that cup of redemption where there's restoration taking place in their life. They're still bound up in the things that took place or the, the, the you know, be it they've been through a divorce or their family's broken or financially they've gone through a hard time, whatever it may be that they've been through that hard time and what happens is they never make it to that place of restoration. They, or they're thankful for the salvation of God and yes, they're freed from those things that might have brought that on but they actually never experience restoration because they don't pursue to drink from that cup for fear of what they might lose again. And then the cup of praise, obviously, if they don't get to the third cup, they never get to that point of praising God in that sense of full fulfillment, that God is fulfilling their life in all aspects, in their relationships, in everything that you could even imagine, that God is fulfilling his promises in your life as you pursue him. So this is what the Christian life is all about, salvation is all about uh, being out from under the yoke of bondage. God promises that to the children of Israel. Let's drill down on that just a little bit. Uh, don't be under a yoke. Don't be under that old yoke. The first point, don't be under that old yoke. Back, you know, if you look at Exodus 6, 6 through 7, this is what it said. I will bring you out from under the yoke. Are you under a yoke that doesn't resemble what God's promises you, to you today? Are you under a yoke that, that doesn't feel like God's uh, blessing, doesn't feel like God's peace in your life? If you're under that yoke, I want you to know that you can be out from under it if you'll simply let Jesus work in your life. Amen. So I've shared about our original story with Pharaoh and all that took place with him and, and how those things were working with the children of uh, Israel and that, that Joseph comes along He's born and he brings uh, that interaction that takes place that causes the Pharaoh to like the children of Israel, if you will. They, there's an embracing of the children of Israel. That's where they come into the land and they become a part of the Egyptian community, basically. But then there was a time that came where there's a new Pharaoh and he did not remember the former things. He didn't, he didn't reflect upon what had happened in the past. He was reflecting upon what was going on right now. And what was going on right now was is that the people of God were growing. They were increasing. And the Pharaoh feared that those people would become too great of a people. So what he does is he, he enslaves them. He enslaves them. So first and foremost today, he uh, forced as slaves to make bricks. He forced them as slaves to make bricks. He puts them into slavery. He takes their freedom away. And he puts them in that, that place of bondage. When he puts them in that place of bondage, this is the place where all of a sudden they lose all the reflection of what God had promised and what was being performed. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, where the promises began. So this is being performed and fulfilled. God saves the whole world through them. And now all of a sudden they're enslaved. You know they were enslaved because honestly they forgot the Lord. They forgot the Lord. Do you feel enslaved today would be my question. Are there any areas of your life that you might feel enslaved? What is a slave? Slave is a person entirely under the, the domination and influence of a person. Domination and influence of a person, or if you will, um, an action, something. Sin, for instance, you're under the domination and influence of sin. Something that you want to stop in, and, and you just can't. You're being dominated by it, but it's something you would like to be free from. I want you to know if you call out to God, you can be free from those things in your life. As John 8, 34 through 35 says, Jesus said, I tell you most solemnly that anyone who chooses a life of sin is trapped indeed, excuse me, is trapped in a dead-end life and 
is in fact a slave. You see that? Anyone that is entrapped by sin, you are enslaved in a dead-end life. A slave is a transient who can't come and go as they will. In other words, it's not as you will it, it's as that dominating thing wills it in your life. And I want to say this, the slave owner where it comes to sin, can anybody tell me who it is? That's the devil. He's the father of lies. And what he does is he peddles lies and makes people believe that this would be something better for them in actuality. I've said it this way before, the same devil that comes along and will entice you to sin, because the Bible says that, he'll entice you according to the lust. Of the, of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. He'll entice you that way. He tempted our Lord and Savior that same way, right? Tempts him with three things. Comes to him, and it's like, uh, you know, all, all this whole world's mine. All you got to do is bow, and I'll give it to you, right? Jesus, it is written. All three times he responds with what? The word of God. That he's following God. He's following what the commands of God are, and he's not going to be distracted by that. In other words, what he's going to do, he's not going to do what Adam did. Adam cre- God created Adam free. He gave him free will. He's under God. And in being under God, he's free. The devil comes along and says, God knows you'll be just like him and you're not going to be under him anymore. What he didn't say is he didn't say, at that moment, you'll become my slave. The devil sold that bill of goods and basically in, in, in getting Adam to accept that, he became the devil's slave. And he subjected all mankind to that same slavery for for all the world for all life unless you can come to the blood of the lamb the one who can wash sin away the one who can break the chains of the slavery of sin and set you free he who the son sets free is free indeed so here's another fact here's another fact that happened in the story if you will is that uh when when uh Moses comes on the scene, what's the first thing he declares to Pharaoh? He says, let, God says, let my people go. The declaration of freedom, right? And it, what did it do to the slave owner? What did it do to him? It enraged him. He became angry. And you know that, that he makes it even harder and harder and harder on the children of Israel? It, Watch, let's, let's go on here. The second thing, so the first thing was they, he forced them to become slaves and make bricks. So if you feel enslaved today, you can be free. The second thing that happened there is that he comes on, so he's concerned about what they're going to be capable of doing. Moses is saying to him, let my people go, and we see him up the ante, if you will. Now before, let me, let me kind of rewind it. For Moses to come on the scene, what will happen was for Moses to come on the scene, be a deliverer, the concern that Pharaoh had is the potential that God's people had if they continued to grow, right? So what does he do? The second thing he did is he begins to order the, the murder, the killing of babies. To do what? To snuff out their potential. To kill their potential. Understand that when, when Pharaoh's doing this, what he, during the time he's doing this, he's killing the babies. Moses is in that generation that's being born. You get that? He wants to kill their potential. And in desiring to kill their potential, what God does is God has one that's, that's delivered out of that and, and freed out of that. And what he, gets, he gets raised in Pharaoh's house. He gets raised in freedom. Moses' mindset was not a mindset of slavery. Do you understand that? 
He was raised in the house of Pharaoh, and when he saw his brothers in slavery, of course, we know he took things into his own hand to free them. He murders an Egyptian, right, which is the way God wanted it to be done. But in doing so, what happens? He runs for his life. But understand, Moses was not raised with a mindset of slavery. Moses was raised with a mindset of freedom. And in doing so, when he came back, uh, understand and declared, God says, let my people go. Moses wasn't laying that down, could, could you please like, maybe let us go? He wasn't approaching this timidity. He wasn't hanging on to the diving board when it came to that. You get what I'm saying? He wasn't holding back on where he was going. Once he came and he says, God says, let my people go, he's coming in there having been raised in Egypt as a prince. He understands something about authority. But he's encountered the ultimate authority. So when he's standing before Pharaoh, who they perceived the people saw Pharaoh as what? A god. Isn't that right? They worshipped him as a god. Here's Moses who was raised in that house, goes off and has an encounter with God. And when he comes back, this murderer of babies, basically, this, this, this people who murdered uh, a generation and who enslaved all of God's people, you got a guy coming back who was trained in that house, had an encounter with God, now knows the true God, and when he comes back, he's coming back with way more boldness than anybody that followed Pharaoh could have. You get where I'm coming from here. So when he declares freedom for God's people, it enrages Pharaoh who sees himself as a God and now is being challenged by the one true God. And was he challenged, by the way? I know there were seven plagues that challenged him in a big way. Can anybody say Amen. And you know the final one that it came to? This, this baby-murdering group of people, well now, it's not much different than what we see in our generation, is it? You can't tell, my heart's broke over when we see the potential that is being murdered. And we don't understand that in a sense, the, the system, that the, this world's system enslaves the minds of people to think that that's a better way why because it'll be a better economy we can't afford this and we can't afford that uh, how many times has, have we killed the cure to cancer you hear me how many times have we killed a solution to our problems because we don't acknowledge that God's way to answer the problems of mankind is to work through man in partnership with man and you're not going to get there by taking life. Pharaoh's trying to destroy their potential. This is basically what I think what happens is, and it's interesting to interact with people in society today, and, and even like the fighting and the just the, the rioting, all the stuff that goes back and forth. It's like, how many of you know that we're uh, uh, envy, right? Strive, where envy is, jealousy, envy. Strife, division, and every evil work imaginable. You see, all the things that get put in front of mankind that, like, these are the most important issues. These are important for these people. These are important for this people. So, so let's just divide everybody. And by doing so, what we do is we create strife, envy, division, discord. The church, the church is meant to be the hope of the world. The church is meant to carry a message that causes unity to come through what? Through love. Unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. And I understand the way the world works, and I understand the systems and government and all of that. I'm not an anarchist, but I'm saying the hope of the world is never going to be the governments of this world. Amen. There's a day where the governments of this world will be given to the government of our God. 
Every knee shall bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. While we live in this world, while we live in this world, we will have troubles, tribulations. We're going to have them. But make no mistake about it, for those that believe in Christ that will rise up, will be free, will accept that freedom, live in that freedom. Do you know that, that, that the law doesn't have to come down on me? Why? Because I do what's right naturally by the leading of God's spirit. I don't, I don't, I don't need the police to show up at my house. Well, I say that. We've had the police show up at my house <laughs> for other matters. But, but, but in that, when, when, when those moments come, there, there's an interaction and a compliance to work to the other side of that to say, you know, I'm looking to God to bring me through this situation. Yeah, but what if something happens and you end up in prison for the wrong reason, or you end up in jail, or you end up with this, or you end up with that? Anybody read the Bible? What if they persecute you for your faith? What if they don't understand why you stand for what you stand for? Anybody read the Bible? Do you remember reading stories about people being thrown in jail? Simply for doing this, simply for saying the name of Jesus Christ. They get locked up in jail. We get bent around the axle for the, the most frivolous things in our society today, to be honest with you. You get all twisted up because we're looking to man for solutions when we ought to be looking to God for those solutions. When we look to God, what he will do is he will make a way where there seems to be no way. If, if you notice in society today, there's a lot of talk about how it's impossible and this is impossible and that's impossible and it's never going to work and negativity, negativity, negativity. But with God, all things are possible to them who what? Believe. And so, um, so as this has taken place, uh, when we see that, that nature, if we see that, that murderous nature, if you will, that spirit is still here today. The spirit that existed back then, the spirit of murder, is not gone. It's still in this earth, and it's still wreaking the havoc of murder in our generation. And let me say that the, the only thing that's going to stay the power of a demonic spirit like that is the power of the Holy Spirit. And how does the power of the Holy Spirit work in this earth? Do you know that God chose us for the power of his spirit to work through? You heard me read during baptism that you repent, you're baptized for the remission of sins, and you receive the gift of what? The Holy Spirit. That the spirit dwelling on the inside of us, the power of the spirit of God dwelling on the inside of us is greater than any power of this earth. It's greater than any demon. And how is that carried out? Let me say this. It's carried out on your knees better than it will ever be carried out. In any other fashion that we do, there's other things that we can do, but on your knees, meaning prayer, calling unto God and asking God to work. You know, I think about during this time, you know, Moses was praying a lot. <laughs> I mean, he's going in before Pharaoh. He didn't necessarily have the favor of his people either. Did you know that? He showed up and it's like, oh, I know who you are. You murdered that Egyptian. <laughs> you know, that's why he ran, right? And he steps on the scene and he's all that. And they're all like, well, I know who you are. You murdered that Egyptian. He's like, got to go. <laughs> right? Hmm. See, it's interesting, but if you think about it, uh, in the idea of drinking from this cup, drinking from the cup of salvation, the cup of salvation, it saves you from the ways of the world. But to save you from the ways of the world, you're going to have to find out what it is that fills the cup of salvation up. Who is salvation? Jesus. You want to drink from that cup. To drink from that cup is to be in relationship with him. 
I say it all the time because I, I can't emphasize enough the importance of God's word. Going to God's word to find our answers for life. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And the word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among men. See, the word, the word in flesh was stretched down on a cross and bled for you and I that our sins could be covered so that we could live like the word, that we could live like Jesus. Come on now. I worked on that pretty hard. Should have had a better amen than that, I think. It's all good. The devil will make you hope for just enough to survive, to, the, to destroy your hope to thrive. The devil will make you hope for just enough to survive, to destroy your hope to thrive. How do I know that? Because in this process, as, as the children of Israel finally do get out of Egypt, you all understand that is a long story I can only touch on. Go back and read it. As they get out of Egypt, you understand that when they get out of Egypt, they go out to worship God, and God's providing for them manna from heaven. We know Moses strikes a rock with his, his staff, and water comes from that because they're, th- they're murmuring and complaining all the time. And they they begin to murmur, you know, it'd be better just to go back to Egypt, to to go back to slavery and have our onions, our leeks, leeks and onions, basically the, you know, vegetation that grew pretty easy in that that dry climate, that basically leeks and onions. We'll take scraps. We just want to survive, you know. We're out here and we have to depend on God. To them, it was better to go back and depend on Pharaoh, oftentimes not unlike us. Hanging on to that diving board is like, I don't know, my life might be safer hanging on to the things of this world, trusting in the ways of this world than trusting in God and doing what his word says. And the reality is, is it's not true. We exchange a life where we can thrive in the things of God over a life where we're just surviving. It's not worth it. Can you say amen? So the third thing, requiring them to collect their own straw. See, See, in, 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 in that, if you think about the children of Israel, that as all this process is unfolding, Pharaoh, Pharaoh makes it harder and harder and harder on them. Not only are they making bricks, they would bring the straw to them right where they were making the bricks, but then basically Pharaoh says, you need to just go ahead and collect your own straw. He makes it harder and harder. I want you to know that that's the way. That is exactly the way the devil works. You know, it's hard on you, but you got a little bit. And the next thing you know, he takes that away and then makes you do more and it makes you do more and makes you do more. You get to the point to where it's, it's like there is no life. And that's the way it was for them. They had to go. And if you remember, part of it was is that um, it was brought to his attention. And again, you know, in the process of it is Moses is, is let my people go, let my people go, let my people go. Moses, or Pharaoh, started, he just makes it harder and harder and harder and harder on, on the Israelites. I want you to know that it's interesting, but it, it reflects a lot on most people actually will come to Christ when they've done what? Bottomed out. They start to come. You, you can be wealthy or you can be poor and bottom out. Did you know that? People find Jesus in all kinds of different socioeconomic uh, um, places. The reality is, is that you come to the end of yourself. You come to the end of what sin does in your life, what slavery produces in your life, and you want freedom. And truth of the matter, that freedom can only be found through one. That's Jesus Christ. Amen. Basically, Pharaoh was trying to wear them down. 
Little by little, more and more, he was trying to wear him down. That's what the devil will do with you. So um, this, is, this is the place that, you know, we, we become desirous of salvation, to drink from the cup of sanctification, to have that salvation when we feel exhausted. When we feel exhausted. So it's when we feel enslaved, it's when we feel empty, and when we feel exhausted, we come to that place where we're looking for something else. And I want you to know Jesus is always going to be there. He's always going to be there. Why? Because you come to that point of looking for something else, Jesus has been searching for you your whole life. God said this, before you were formed in your mother's womb, I knew you. And I ordained you. This is what he said the, the, uh, the prophet Jeremiah. Before you were formed in your mother's womb, I ordained you. I knew you. I made you. The most intricate parts of you were being put together, see? By who? By God. By my mama. Well, mama's the, she's the one that's housing you. She's the one that's keeping you, and it's from her body, but it's by God's design that you were made. God is very much involved in that process where, if you will, you're coming to be formed. And so when you know you have purpose at that point, and you come to that place of understanding that God has always been watching, God has always been waiting for that moment to where when he says, hello, you go, oh, hey, God. It's like, it's great for you to want me. How many of you know that God doesn't, he doesn't barge his way into your life? Free will and all, the way he made you, he won't make you accept him. But he's always waiting for you to open up to him. Amen? Amen. I want to uh, say that the cup of sanctification, there's a few scriptures that we can see where God wants to bring these things about as we partake of it. John 10.10 says, The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and destroy. I have come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. That's a scripture I've quoted a lot. I know all of us, you know, if you're a believer, you've heard it a lot. But it is a passage of scripture that we need to embrace as being the core of these promises. This is what Jesus has promised, an abundant life. What does that abundant life look like? That abundant life looks like salvation. That abundant life looks like deliverance. It looks like freedom. It looks like fulfillment. And I want to drink from that cup. I don't know about you. Romans 8, 11 says, it stands to reason, doesn't it? That if the alive and the present power who raised Jesus from the dead moves into your life, he'll do the same thing in you that he did in Jesus, bringing you alive to himself. When God lives and breathes in you, you are delivered from the dead life. With his spirit living in you, your body will be as, as alive as Christ. We just finished Easter. Jesus is not dead. He's not in a grave somewhere. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. And the Bible says he makes intercession for us. He makes intercession for us continuously before the throne of God. He is, he's intercession praying. Jesus is still talking to the Father about each and every one of us individually. Here's where they're at. This is what they're struggling. Here's the slavery they're dealing with. Father, I want them free. He is interceding. He is calling to the Father that we would be free and experience his life in that abundant fashion. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 4. Because Jesus was raised from the dead, we've been given a brand new life and have everything to live for, including a future in heaven, a future in heaven and a future that starts when? It starts now. It's like, well, one day in heaven, no, no, no. In heaven, yes, we're going to experience even more. But the life that Christ came to provide for us begins now. It's not one day. 
So no matter how empty you feel, your cup can be filled. It can be filled. You, you don't have to walk around with an empty cup. You can fill it up. All you have to do is take in what God's offered. So today I want to show you a video of some testimonies of people who took that step. Now, thinking about that video of Mr. Bean not being able to leave the diving board, these pe are people who chose to leave that diving board and enter into the life of Christ. Hmm. Amen. So let me ask you a couple questions this morning. First, how did you get where you are? Maybe you've got a relationship with Jesus. My question to you to be, be in the midst of that would be, do you want more relationship with Jesus? Do you want that to be deeper? Do you want there to be more of Christ than you've ever known? Do you want more of an encounter with God than you've ever had? Wherever you are, you can move forward. You can take a step forward. You can leave that diving board and know that Jesus is going to be there. Amen. So um, I say this then, or the second question would be, how do you get how do you move forward from where you are by simply taking a step? Let me share these last three points with you. Make the move. Basically, make the move. Repent. You know, well, do I need to repent if I have a relationship with Jesus? If you ever become satisfied with where you are, just know there's only one way to go from that point, and it's backwards. In other words, we're always striving. Look, I'm always, I'm pursuing my relationship with Angie that my relationship would be better and better and better. Can I get an amen, husbands, in this place? Amen? I'm always pursuing that for it to be more and better and better and better. I'm not talking not being content. I'm talking having desire. I have desire for my relationship with Angie to be deeper and better than it was yesterday, to be deeper and better tomorrow than it is today. I have that same desire in my relationship with God that it will go deeper and deeper and deeper. Make sense? And if, I, if I'd never begun that relationship, in other words, I was in that place, I had to make the move to begin that relationship. I had to make the move. Come on, man. How I many had to make the move if you wanted to get married to your wife, right? You have to make the move if you want to be in relationship with God. So the way we make that move is repent. And how many of you know that complacency in relationship is not a good thing? If you've been married for a while, complacency is not good for your marriage. Complacency in your relationship with God, I want you to know, is sin. Don't be complacent where your relationship with God is concerned. Or what you will do is you'll take it for granted. Come on now. So 2 Corinthians 6, 17 through 18 says, Therefore, come out from, from, uh, from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you, and I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Almighty. Basically, again, that's speaking of the world, or, that I'll bring you out from under that yoke. Don't be under the yoke of the world. Anyone that's ever been in credit card debt fully understands what it means to be yoked into the world. Come on now. Amen. And uh, everybody in the room said, Amen. yeah. Second thing is, let it go. Let it go. Surrender. Surrender the anger. Sur surrender the bitterness. Sur surrender the hate, the unforgiveness, the greed, the lust. Surrender all those things that are so contrary to a relationship with Jesus Christ. In Mark 8, 34 through 35, it says this. When he had called the people to himself... With his disciples also, he said to them, Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But who loses his life for, uh, for my sake uh, in the Gospels will save it. In other words, Jesus is saying that to surrender, there is sacrifice in your surrender. But there's a greater reward on the other side. Jesus surrendered to the Father's will. 
Garden of Gethsemane. He wrestled with it, but he surrendered to it. And in surrendering to it, there was sacrifice, but there was a far greater reward on the other side of his surrender and sacrifice. Amen? And then the third thing there, commit your life. Commit your life. Don't hang on to the diving board. For, to, to leave the place you are, you kind of have to commit to going somewhere else. Isn't that right? You got to commit to it. Now, Mr. Bean had a hard time committing all the way down to his last hand, hanging on to that diving board. I'm trying to be the little boy today. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just trying to help you commit just a little bit. And I won't stomp on your hands. I'm not stomping on your hands, but I might be stomping on your toes a little bit this morning. And it's okay. I'm trying to help you commit. You know, once you get into a life filled with Christ, uh, there is no greater place that you, than you can be. And what is that? That's relationship. That's genuine, true, honest, authentic relationship with Jesus Christ. There is no greater place you can be in your life than to be in an authentic relationship with Jesus. To be there brings the assistance of heaven in every other aspect of your life. Romans 6.19 says this, Just as you used uh, to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness. What's that have to do with it? Look, the holiest life you can live is one that's next to Jesus in relationship. You, know, you don't have to be all worried about, well, what if I do this wrong or that wrong? Well, what if you stay close to Jesus? And, and, I, and I'll almost guarantee you this. If you, stay if you can stay close, to, I can't guarantee that you'll stay close to Jesus, but I'll guarantee if you stay close to Jesus, if you choose to commit to that in relationship with him, if you stay close to Jesus, his power is more than able to help you live a life that's holy and pleasing to God, Amen. which is going to be for your benefit. That is the way to the abundant life that Jesus promised, is to live for God. And the only way to live for God is to be in Christ. Amen? The Bible says this, I am, say this with me, stand to your feet while we say this. Say, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. That scripture for me has always been it's one of the most amazing where it comes to, can I live my life in righteousness? I can live my life in righteousness if I'm in Christ. See, the emphasis of that scripture, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I can't be righteous in God any other way but to be in Christ. To be in Christ means simply to have a genuine relationship with him. Would you bow your heads this morning as I pray? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much for your love, for your Holy Spirit who comes to fill us up, Father, to, by your power that you can guide us and lead us. Lord, I pray that we would be just a little more yielded than we were when we walked in here today. I pray, God, that, that we wouldn't hang on to the diving board, but, Lord, we would dive in. And, God, you would give us the inspiration to do that by your word. And that, Father, we would take that step of obedience. It is our will that must be asserted to follow you. And, Lord, when we assert our will to follow you, God, you come, you show up, and, and Lord, you give us the power to do the very thing that we're committing to. So, Lord, I pray that for every person in here this morning that we would leave here with that extra measure of commitment to follow you 
And that, Lord, we would understand that not by our power, but by your power that works in us. That we call upon you and we invite you in our, our, our life at every turn, in our marriages, in our families, in our job, in our finances. Lord, all those things that can be so distracting to following you. God, we'd invite you into them so that, Lord, that would be a greater blessing. That, Father, we'd experience the, the fruit and the blessing of salvation in all those areas of our life. Because we place salvation first. We place Christ first. So, Lord, I pray these things for each person here today that they leave. And, Lord, that we wouldn't keep it to ourselves, but we'd share it with somebody else. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, Amen.